Welcome back to the call to unite the community around the world that believes in one simple principle, that we are one, and that believes in one simple action, that when we act as one, we can do anything. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for continuing to support us and giving directly to families in need in this country, in the United States, and around the world. Please continue to do so. Thank you for volunteering to serve through our partner, Points of Light. Please continue to do so. And thank you for using the hashtag, answer the call, and contribute to the book of us, a book to be published after this day when we capture the best of the human spirit in the worst of times. It's now my pleasure to welcome back my colleague, the Chief Spiritual Officer of Unite.us, also the co-host of with Richard Rohr of his now extraordinarily successful podcast, uh, Bree Stoner. Bree, welcome back to the call. Welcome back to the teaching. Thank you for doing all you've done. Thank you so much, Tim. So we were talking, Bree, about how we can connect the dots for people here. There's been a lot of discussion uh, throughout the call on practices of contemplative centering, practices of interior self-awareness, quiet, uh, chant. We've seen these things. A lot of people are thinking, what does that have to do with solving the problem? Can you help us understand the connection between these kinds of practices and actually getting things done? Right, absolutely. Well, one of the things that's so interesting is that we've created a very strong division between the inner life and our outer life, our outer work, or what we dedicate ourselves to in life. But in reality, all spiritual traditions teach that there's a really strong connection between the practices of interiority that we do and the life that we lead on the outside with our relationships to each other and within our society. You know, when we're in meditation, one of the things that we're doing is we're letting go of what was, we're letting go of our thoughts, our stories, our narratives, our assumptions, so that we can move more fully into the potential of what mm -hmm. could be. The mystics, a lot of Christian mystics describe this as leaning into the unknowing, which mm -hmm. actually most of us don't really enjoy. Most of us don't enjoy not knowing or not being certain, especially in, in the current crisis that we're facing. It's very difficult for us to not know when we're going to get back to life, when we're going to get back to work, when we're going to return to our jobs. But the mystics teach us that this place of unknowing is actually a really creative place to be. Hmm. So it sounds like, so for some people, they might say, uh, look, I, I pray at night. Uh, I ask God to help me. Other people might say, I don't believe in God. I walk in nature, other things like that. Are they all oriented in the same way? I was raised to pray the rosary, for instance. It's, we speak a lot in the rosary. It's repetitive. Uh, do they all bring us to that space of trust or unknowing or, or not? I think um, any practice that helps us create a blank slate that helps kind of, I call it the windshield wiper, that helps mm. release the, the, the ways that we tend to cling to our stories and our narratives and helps us relax into a state of trust or openness is a really, really positive practice. And, and here's the thing, it's not just a practice that you do for yourself. It's actually that when we do these practices, it's for the sake of the whole because it changes how we interact and relate to each other. 
it allows me to dip into a place where if I can let go of my thoughts, my stories, my narratives, and my assumptions, then I also am able to let go of the ways I tend to put those narratives on you, how I tend to put those assumptions on you. And listen, we're having this conversation about the call to unite. And we cannot emerge from this crisis and be more united if we're unwilling to see the ways in which we're interiorly divided, but also divided against each other. And one of those primary barriers is our assumptions. So um, one of my friends uh, uh, and my colleagues in the social emotional learning movement refers to learning to be curious instead of furious. Uh, it sounds like there's a resonant question here about how do we unlock creativity in solving problems. And part of it is no longer being trapped by assuming that the other person or assuming that the problem is already impossible, is already destructive, is already set against us. We've got to drop out and some might say have faith. Some might say trust God. Some might say be contemplatively open, but it's the similar process, at least, to being open to some new problem solving that only an open heart and open mind can create. Do I, am I getting it right? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, here's the thing. We cannot, we just simply cannot move into what could be the future we hope for if we're still clinging to what was or to the past. And, and you mentioned the word creativity. This is a creative principle. I can't write a new song if when I sit down at the piano, I'm thinking about and singing the, the song I wrote before, right? So artists do this intuitively. And I think all of us as a society need to lean into that capacity to, to move into a state of unknowing, which we are in right now during this time, this kind of uncomfortable in-between. But to see it as a practice that we do for the sake of the whole and for the sake of being able to encounter each other from a whole new place, a place where I'm not going to limit you by your past. I'm not going to limit you by my assumptions. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. You feel the fruitful potential yeah. and the infinite possibility that that creates. We started, we started in the very beginning, almost 12 hours ago now, talking about justice and joy. Uh, if you separate them and you think all I need is my own joy, then you can sacrifice justice. If you think all I want is justice, you tend to sometimes think you got to fight the whole time. Put them together. I think you have to have an open heart. Thank you, Bree. I know you've got one of the great teachers uh, on hand to continue this conversation. Let's, uh, let's turn it over to you now to carry it forward. That's right. This is, first of all, this, this whole journey has been such a joy for me because I feel like I'm watching the greatest hits of all of my favorite spiritual teachers <laughs> that have taught me so much. And I'm particularly thrilled to welcome Brian McLaren, who has taught me and has taught so many of us. So Brian, welcome to The Call to Unite. I'm so happy to be here with you all. Uh, I'm Brian McLaren. For 24 years, I was the pastor of a beautiful interdenominational congregation in the Washington, D.C. area. And for the last 14 years, I've been working as a writer, speaker, activist. I'm an advocate for a new kind of Christianity that works with people of all faiths to seek the common good, to heal the planet, and to seek justice for and with the poor while working for peace 
uh, everywhere where there's conflict and fear and hate and division. Uh, last night, as the call to unite began, Tim Shriver said, in the worst of times, we can become our best. I thought that was a beautiful and true word from Tim. In the worst of times, we can become our best. And the question is how? My roots in the contemplative tradition tell me that the answer begins with changing our mind, not simply changing what we think, but changing how we think. In the worst and the hardest of times, our old ways of thinking often fail us. They're often what got us into the mess we're in. And that failure opens us up to new and deeper ways of thinking. Many years ago, one of my four children was diagnosed with cancer. He's 35 now, but he was just six and a half uh, then. He's big guy, six foot two now. He was just a little guy then. He had daily chemotherapy, daily chemotherapy for about three and a half years. And for the first 10 months, he was hospitalized for a few days every month because his immune system was compromised and his little body would get a life-threatening infection. One day I'd been at the hospital for a day and a night and I got home and I picked up the mail out of the mailbox and dumped it on the counter, kitchen counter. And I noticed a newsletter for an organization of parents with children with cancer. And uh, I opened it up just standing there. I was tired, just opened it up, started to read that newsletter. And in one section, every month, they would list the names of children who hadn't made it through the month before. And as I read that list that day, uh, something happened to me. I began to cry. Uh, I, I felt something was opening up inside me. It was, it was almost scary. It was so big and so deep. I wasn't simply crying for myself and my wife and my son and our family. It wasn't just an outpouring of the stress that we'd been feeling for some months, although I'm sure all of that was part of it. But my, my pain and our family's pain, it seemed, it opened me up. The bottom fell out of it so that I began to feel a deep, deep empathy for every parent who had lost a child and then Beyond that, every parent who is caring for a sick child, and then beyond that, in some way that I still can't put into words, my empathy opened up and expanded for everyone everywhere. Something happened to me that day. It was like the architecture of my own mind and heart and soul got rearranged, and it's never gone back to the way it was before. A new space opened up and it feels like it's just grown over time. My circle of compassion and my circle of connection went beyond me to my family and beyond my family to other families and water still to everybody everywhere. I felt that we were all one, all suffering the same grief in a, in a way, all feeling the same fears, all in our own ways afraid and in pain and so very vulnerable. And all of us were held in the same great, big, bottomless love. Now, when I look back, I call that a mystical experience. At the time, I was a little worried I was losing my mind, but it was so overwhelming. But the great love and the great sorrow I felt that day played a part 
in changing my mind to a more contemplative mind. Now, a contemplative mind is a mind that sees things whole. It looks for the larger one that can contain every two or every many. If you divide, it seeks a greater unity. If you exclude, it seeks to draw a greater circle of inclusion. If you blame, it seeks to understand and forgive. If you fear, it, it tries to enter into a bigger courage that makes the threat seem smaller. A contemplative mind doesn't just change what we think, it changes how we think and how we see and how we live. And in a sense, in this time of quarantine, uh, we're, we're turning each of our homes into a domestic monastery, and, and all of us are being given the chance to step back from our normal activities and our obsession with action and reaction, and it's offering us a chance to slow down and feel our compassion and connectedness, e even in the act of stepping out onto the balcony and, and listening to music across the way or in banging the, the pots to say we feel connection to those frontline healthcare workers. We're offering ourselves a chance to change our minds. If you want to understand the contemplative mind, you can just think of the word and because uh, a reactive and divisive mind enters conflict and divides into twos right away. I'm right, you're wrong. We're good, they're bad. The contemplative mind says, well, I'm think I'm right about some things, but I'm sure I'm wrong about some things, and the same is true of everyone else. So let's try to find the right and unify around it. A reactive mind experiences stress or sorrow and says, I'm unhappy, I'm angry. And a contemplative mind says, yeah, I'm unhappy and I'm angry, but so are you and so are all of us. How can I let my experience of discomfort at this moment deepen my empathy to join you and yours. Uh, a divisive reactionary mind, as you were just saying a few minutes ago, will produce divisive and reactionary times. But a, a broader, deeper contemplative mind will make unity possible. A reactive mind says, uh, who's at fault for this mess we're in? Who can I blame? Who can I vent my anger upon? Who can I scapegoat? How can we return to the old normal as soon as possible? Because I don't like being in this liminal space, this space of where, where my old ways of thinking aren't working so well. But a contemplative mind knows that we can't return to the old normal. And that if our minds change, and if our hearts change, then our future can change. Uh, you know, the old normal looks really good right now for a lot of us. But I think this is a good time to realize that there was a lot wrong with the old normal. Uh, and we could catalog all that's wrong, but one thing that's clear, it wasn't prepared for the reality that we're now in. And that can open us up to say, what else was the old normal unprepared for? In a sense, I think our old normal was based on a lie that is so clear to us now that we are all little islands, little individuals, little monads of reliant, self-reliant self-interest, living in an economy that will protect us from all evil if we just work hard enough and make a little more money. In this lie, our survival depends on self-interest. We can't afford to return to that old normal. In the new normal that we can create together, 
we can learn a truth that we're all learning in our bones thanks to this crisis, and that is that we are all connected. We are all part of the same humanity. We're all part of the same story unfolding on this beautiful planet spinning around the sun. We're all in trouble, and our only way out is together. If we start shifting our mind to open, be open to the new possibilities of a new normal on the other side of this, it will begin with a shift in each of us. And we have the chance to uh, not become bitter through this, but to become better. That, as Tim said, through the worst of times, we can become our best selves. We can nurture a vision of deep connection and compassion with everyone. Thanks. Wow, Brian, that was such a profound meditation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. As I listened to you speak, there were a couple things that came up to me or came up for me, which is that there seems to be a relationship between that tendency toward dividing into us versus them camps. You talked about blame, but I wonder about the connection between blame and our wounds, blame and grief. And that for so many uh, Western societies, at least, grieving and going into our wounds and working on healing, that's not something we were necessarily trained to do. <laughs> we're trained to keep, you know, keep up with the, with the business as usual, keep going, keep moving. So what is the relationship between that tendency to you know, kind of push other people out and our own pain and our own unprocessed grief? Yes. You know, as you say that, I'm remembering, remember back when we used to fly on airplanes? <laughs> and uh, and I remember, uh, you know, all of the delays that happen in flights, being in a long line of people needing to change my ticket. And there is this poor flight uh, attendant or, or uh, employee of, the, of an airline standing at a desk and somebody's yelling and screaming at her. And And we all understand it. In fact, Maybe we've all done it in one way or another, that we feel this rage and we don't like it inside of us. We don't like what's going on inside and we need to get it outside somehow. And, uh, it, and, and probably in the middle of a crisis, it's almost too late for us to learn you know, what to do. But if we keep thinking those bad people out there, then we just, in a way, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes a vicious cycle. I feel better when I vent on you. I feel better when I blame our nation's problems on some other nation. I feel better when I blame political problems on the other party. I feel better. And, and, we, we, and it becomes almost an addictive cycle, I think, Bree. Um, but I think when we say, you know what, maybe the problem is I have to deal with this rage that rises up in me. Maybe I have to learn instead of processing my grief into anger, I need to actually feel my grief. Mm. And, that, and, and the tragedy is when we're always processing our grief into anger and projecting it out, I think our own grief and sadness, if we actually can bear to live with it and not try to run away from it and turn it into anger, it actually can become almost that tunnel or trap door through which we find empathy with other people. So then you can imagine standing in the air, airline, uh, airplane line and thinking, this poor flight attendant, it's not her fault the flight is delayed. 
we're both in a mess together. How can we come up with a good solution uh, that's going to work for me and that doesn't involve her being damaged? You see, it, it's not that big a step. It's it's like a flip of a switch. Wow. Well, Brian, you have offered us such a powerful invitation to unity through this contemplative mind or through contemplative practice, through being capable or learning to be capable of, of welcoming our own our own emotions to be able to notice what's happening inside of ourselves so that we can access that point of unity of compassion. Mm -hmm. um, on behalf of the entire Unite team and everyone who's watching, thank you so much for teaching us this morning, Brian. Thanks for the beautiful thing you're doing.